Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Israel Soto. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. God is good. I said, God is good. God is good. Hallelujah. I've titled my conversation with you this morning. I'm not going to be as systematic as I always am, giving you bullets here on top of uh, the big screen. I simply want to talk to you because I believe there are people in this house that need to be reminded. You need to be encouraged, but you will be encouraged as I remind you. Turn around and tell your neighbor... I won't forget. I won't forget. Say it again. And I'll say, don't you forget. Hallelujah. Put your hand over your heart. Father, speak to us. Encourage us, Father. I know there's broken hearts and I know there's needy families in this house, Father. I know that someone needs to hear this word or else you would not lay it upon a heart. And if that word was for me, Father, then let it pierce my own heart, Father. For I feed from your word just as well. Father, I pray you bless your people today. And as they walk out of this place, Father, they would leave mindful, mind-filled with your truth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I know that the, in the past several weeks, many of us have gone through some very difficult circumstances. Some of us are right in the middle of a tough situation now. Some of us just got out of a situation. And some of us are just getting ready to step in. This past few days, some of us have said goodbye to some loved ones, as did Brother Cantu, whom we send our hearts and love. He's present here, our senior usher. We love him so much. There he is back there. We just give the Lord a praise for Brother Cantu. <laughs> Brother Oscar, we love you. During this difficult time, we pray encouragement over your life. We also know that we're praying and we're fasting over one of our young girls here who is going through a very tough situation in her body. Uh, things that will require chemotherapy in the next few days. And I don't know how many of us are acquainted with uh, this horrible drug. Being prophylactic and, and, and being a drug that is supposed to help us, there is so much collateral damage. And I say, I speak uh, from firsthand knowledge, uh, my family, uh, Erica, my oldest daughter, suffered of a cancer when she was not even two years old. And we spent our several months and her birthday uh, at MD Anderson in Houston. I was living out of a car for several months, and my wife was staying with our baby uh, in the hospital room at MD Anderson. But she went through chemotherapy, and it was a tough situation. Now, back then, which is a few years now, it wasn't as developed as it is now. But by the grace of God and the wonder-working power of his blood, uh, my daughter is with us uh, today. You see her, and she's giving us what the doctor said she wouldn't be able to do was to give us children. And she's the one that gave us our first grandbaby. 
Amen. And so, <laughs> but it's a tough situation to go through these medications. And our young girl here, our beloved Mara, is going to be experienced. So we've been going through tough times. And I'm sure that there's somebody else in this house who's right in the middle of something detrimental, something very trying that I may not know about, but God knows about those things. Some of you have just gotten maybe bad news about somebody who's maybe sick or is going through some trial that it's affected even your joy. And some of us may be struggling with our spouses, our children, our finances, uh, our jobs, whatever it may be, but there's trouble everywhere. As a matter of fact, Jesus said that in this world, we would have trouble. So it shouldn't be anything uncommon or something that should in any way shock us because it's the reality. If you live just a couple of days in this world, you'll probably bump heads with something that you don't like. So it's been rough to say the least, and we've been doing a lot of praying. Uh, we've been doing fasting. I take time to thank those of you who committed. Uh, I trust you've been faithful uh, and, and uh, uh, fasting the day that you committed unto the Lord on behalf of the needs that we have here in the house, especially our young girl who's going through this trying circumstance. We are praying for deliverance. We are praying for victory, and ladies and gentlemen, we will be victorious. We're not going to allow ourselves to be cornered in some room of desperation and disappointment. We are overcomers, every single one of us. Now, I may sound a little cliche or monotonous, but I'm going to lean on the power of monotony. Uh, you may not know what I have just said, but you've practiced this. Uh, never underestimate the power of monotony. You practice it on your children. How many times have I told you? Clean up your room. How many times did I tell you not to go there? That's things that are monotonous, things that are over and over. And so... As I speak to you this morning, I may sound monotonous. But listen and read my lips. I don't care. I don't care. Because it's important for me to remind you on a daily basis and every moment that we spend together, I only see you about an hour a week. So I'm going to do everything I can to scream it in your ear every time I see you, even if it's the same thing. I've noticed that after close to 30 years spending time with you, though I've been screaming in your ear in monotony, you've learned nothing. Some of you have learned nothing. You forget. Now, how unbiblical is it? No, no, it's not unbiblical. As a matter of fact, it was Peter's religion. It was his doctrine to be monotonous. It was his commitment. It was his purpose, his premeditated effort to be monotonous to the people he spoke to. Second Peter's 
1 and 13. Put it up there, guys. I didn't give you this passage, but the Lord popped it in my heart. And first, second Peter 1 Peter 1.13, what does it say? It says, is it right for me to refresh you? Did you find it? I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. Keep going. Because I know that I will soon be put aside. Not so soon. As our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to say the word. Say it like you mean it. Make, say it like you're Pentecostal. Remember these things. It's right for me to be monotonous from this pulpit. It's right for me to keep telling you over and over. Why? Because you won't remember. You won't remember. And so that's what Peter is talking about. It's, it's right for me. Maybe someone were rolling their eyes. Like, I've heard that sermon a million times, Pastor. I don't care. I'm going to tell you again. Because you need to know the truth. And more than that, you need to remember the truth. You are more than a conqueror. There is a prophetic word over the church. Not to be called slaves to the pleasures of this world, but victors for God. You and I were born of the Lord. You know what that means? Forgive my arrogance. You were born of the Lord. You know what that means? You are of an upper class. You may not live in Hollywood, God forbid. You may not live in the higher echelons of this world. You may not be rubbing shoulders with Bill Gates and Elon Musk. And if you did and that was high archy to you, you're selling yourself cheap. Because the Bible says that you are born of God. That's the highest class of people in this world. And you will overcome through faith more than overcomers. In the midst of suffering, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and even sword. We have victory through faith over all these things. We, like the apostle, are turned over to death on a daily basis for Jesus' sake. And this world is doing everything it can right now to keep us in a place of death and disillusion, failure, and stress. But I've come to remind you that those of us who have given our lives to Christ will continue to press on, moving towards Jesus in victory. That is the destiny of the church. Not only 
to conquer the enemy, but to make the enemy obedient at the sound of our voice in the name of Jesus, our supreme authority. There is power in what you say. Just the other day, I was watching some YouTube thing, or I don't know what it was that I was watching, and some of you may not remember the old uh, uh, Bruce Lee karate expert back then. If not, you've seen his shirts. But those of us in our in the 70s, uh, there was that hero that is now past. He died, but he said something pretty smart. Being a Buddhist himself and probably not believing in Christ, I have no idea. But he did say something very, very keen, very smart. He said, don't ever speak ill of yourself. Ever. Because when you speak ill of yourself, you're hexing yourself. You're cursing yourself. You're casting a spell. This is why it's called spelling. Yes? When you write something, what, is it, what do you call that? It's spelling. You spell words. When you speak words, you cast spells. And so you need to speak properly and in blessing towards even your own life and the life of others. In order for us to have that victory, ladies and gentlemen... That overcoming and surviving position in the Lord, we need to speak prosperity and blessing and overcoming into our lives. That is the position that the Lord left his church in. It's the attitude of the church. Victory is the attitude of the church. And he requires this attitude upon all of us. It's the position, the attitude, and the condition of the church. To live as overcomers. Now I'm going somewhere with this ladies and gentlemen. Because I've heard a lot from some of you. And even others from out of this place. Concerning everything that's going on in our world today. And so I speak these words in the name of Jesus. Hoping to convince you to stop listening to the lies of this world. And to start listening to the truth of God. I want us all to leave this place with a different view than that that the world wants us to believe. The world is doing everything it can, ladies and gentlemen, to inflict humanity with fear. Fear. Not only here in this country, but around the world, peoples of all walks are frightened and they're nervous, insecure with today's events. With everything that's going on in our world, in every aspect of life, there are people shaking. It's robbed us of joy. It's robbed us of having a plan for the future. It's robbed us of waking up in the morning with expectation. It's no wonder that if you study statistics, you'll find that in this generation right now, and especially this past three, four years, all this mess has broken loose, whatever you want to call it. Drug abuse is at its highest statistic. Alcoholism, 
is at its highest. Crime is at its highest. Never before so much crime, anger, frustration, people yelling at each other, hatred and division all over this world. It is said that today we are experiencing the greatest epidemic of emotional and spiritual destruction ever. Right now. The greatest attack on our emotions and who we are. Dividing us and breaking us, making us angry and trying to find temporary opiates to relieve ourselves from the fear that we feel. People are running to the hills, digging holes, ordering dry foods and hoarding room after room of dry goods. All because of what's expected, this complete meltdown that everyone is waiting to happen. Now, media is doing a great job at fear-mongering. For those of you who are hooked on social media, if you're afraid, that's why. That means that it's a job well done. Fear-mongering, exaggerating. And I'm not saying that none of this is true. What I'm saying is for views, I'll always put that little extra spice to attract you to it. Come back next week when I tell you what's really going to happen. <gasps> and the gossip and the fire moves about. Now, you may think I'm talking about the world just alone. No, no, I'm talking about the church. There may be some of you here in this place that never have felt in a long time the joy of the Lord. Because you come in here not to rejoice in the Lord, but you come here to see if you can find a safe space. Because you're afraid of what they said is going to happen. Why even believers are falling apart? Why are they just falling apart? Why is hopelessness such an epidemic? I believe that though there are many reasons, there is least uh, one that I'll mention or a couple. One, we have not given ear to the word of God. You may come to church, but you're still not lending an ear to the Word of God. You may have the radio on in Christian station, but you're not listening to the Word of God. You may have a Bible at home, but you're not reading and listening to the Word of God. And secondly, for the other group, is you've forgotten the Word of God. You have forgotten the word of God. I want to prepare you because I'm going to get off the pulpit. And I'm going to go to you. I know you loved it last time. And I'm always doing stuff you love. So start swallowing twice. And start planning really, really theological answers. You don't even know what I'm going to ask you. We have forgotten the word of God. Isaiah 51 and 12. I, even I, am he who comforts you.
This is a frustrating passage I'm reading, and the frustrated one here is God, not me. You're looking uh, 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 at the words of your Savior kind of in deep wonder. Not losing hope, nothing like that, but it just in deep wonder as I believe these words are written. Just listen to them. I, even I, says the Lord, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you fear mere mortals, human beings who are but grass, that you forget the Lord, your maker, who stretches out the heavens and who lays the foundations of the earth. That you live in constant terror every day because of the oppressor. Now listen. Who is bent on destruction? For where is this, is the wrath of the oppressor? And you hear declarations and you hear questions. The Lord is having a discourse with someone who is living a destroyed life. This is why this message is important for the church today. There are Christians today who are living destroyed lives. And for that reason, you cannot move in the Lord. You cannot do what God has called you to do. You cannot testify. You can't witness. You can't sing. You can't jump. You can't clap. You can't share something of joy with anybody else. Why? Because you're living in terror. A declaration and a question. The question, why are you trembling? What are you afraid of? Why are you trembling? Why are you living in terror? And he makes note of two things. I'm old. Don't look at me. Because if you look at me, I'm going to you. Now look at me, please. <laughs> he makes note of two things here. A question. And the question is, I don't know you, brother. Stand up. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> no, stand up. It's okay. You'll get every answer right. Don't you worry. It's like a good test, an open book. The Lord asked this question. Who is your oppressor? Who wants you destroyed? What is his name? The devil. See? Check. No, not yet, not yet. Tell me, 
What do you know about this devil? Stand up and help him. <laughs> what do you know about this demon? He says that he will destroy God. Ah. Ah. You got yourself a good one. Yeah. Got yourself a good one. What else do you know about him? That God already gave us victory over him. I'm telling you. Somebody needs to hang on. Thanks, guys. Maybe see are you listening to me? Are you listening to, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to a good sermon. <laughs> That's okay. We've never, oh my God, oh my Lord. That's okay, I'm not going to embarrass you. See, he got it right. Let me ask you the same question. The Lord asked this question, I'll ask that, okay? Who is your oppressor? Would you stand up? Satan. What do you know about Satan? He's always looking for trouble. Wants to destroy you. That's right. Mm-hmm. What else do you know? He fears God. He's afraid of God himself. Mm. You know, these things are really important to know about your oppressor. Uh, that would change your attitude in a fight, right? If you and I were going to wrestle over something and you saw fear in my face, you knew you had it, right? We're not going to fight. Sit down. I don't want to get beat up in front of my church. Well, I'm going to ask one more question. The Lord poses and makes us to note something else. One, who is your oppressor? And then he asks this, who's your defender? Would you stand? Who is your defender? Jesus. Okay. What do you know about him? He's always on your side. He has your steps laid out for you. Before even the devil attacks, he has a solution for you. Ah. Ah, 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 Dad, you better know these answers. <laughs> Stand up, Dad. Don't be a pushing us around because you have your granddaughter here. <laughs> what do you know about your defender? Um, Jesus, is the, my, uh, Jesus is my defender, and he already defeated the devil on the cross. Mm. Okay. Mm. And the devil is a powerless power. He's powerless. He is. Thank you. Give the Lord a praise. Now, see, that wasn't so hard. That wasn't so hard. You had harder questions when you were going to the university. I'll tell you what, your knowledge in the university will not give you what knowing this will give you. God isn't calling us to be book smart. He's calling us to be heart smart concerning him. That's where true wisdom 
And so we have the question the Lord is asking, where is, who is it that is your oppressor? Who's the one that's threatening you? Who's the one that's bending his bow to destroy you? And the second is, who's the one who defends you? Have you looked at his statistics? You know, normally in a boxing match, uh, they give the statistics. They give the history. They give the, uh, the tape. Uh, what do you call that? Edgar, what do you call it? Statistics, they'll tell you where he's been, what he does, and what advantages he have. Well, his reach is 69 inches, and this other guy is 72 inches long. This guy has fought 500, round, uh, 500 fights, and he's won 400 in knockouts, and, and the other ones were draws and whatever. But there's a testimony. And it's the Lord is shaking the neck of whom he's talking to and says, Why are you in terror? Who is oppressing you? Think. Or have you forgotten? If you didn't know this morning, somebody just gave you the answer. The oppressor is Satan. But what do you know about Satan? You heard he's been defeated on the cross. You've heard he's always out to destroy you. And that he fears God. Who is your defender? Someone said, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the supreme authority. And so you see that certain sense of frustration that the Lord expresses to us. I'm not trying to make the Lord in any way a, an emotional wreck. But I believe the Lord can get emotional about us. You see, he wept over Jerusalem. Yes. Don't, don't think I'm being sacrilegious up here or a heretic. The Bible says he looked at Jerusalem and he wept. So he's emotional. And it's okay when he talks to us, he can get emotional. Sometimes like you do to a son who doesn't listen and finally hurts himself. And he says, Mijo, how many times have I told you? Look at you. Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets. How many times have I wanted to gather you like a hen does his little cheekies? But you wouldn't have it. So the Lord knows how to feel. And we see his heart in this passage trying to convince you and I, ladies and gentlemen, who he is versus who he is. He's trying to make sense and bring us back to our senses. Once again, reminding us because we've forgotten. Romans 8 and 37, no, in all these things, you see, Paul was convinced. He knew his defender. And he also makes mention of his oppressor. In Romans chapter 8, verse 37, you see Paul making note of two things as well. He's checking the statistics. Let's see who wins. He says, now in all these things, uh, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. 
What do you know about your defender? Well, I know that my defender loves me. I know that he adores me. I know that he loved me so much to give his life for me. For I am convinced that is I'm unshakable, I'm immovable, I'm galvanized, I'm made a rock at this position, I'm stubborn in this knowledge, he said, that neither death the opposer, nor life even being an opposer, neither angels that can be opposers, nor demons for sure opposers, neither the present, which can scare you, nor the future, which you know nothing about, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. He just wraps it all up. will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. That is Paul's position. He's saying no matter what circumstance, if you're a true believer, there is no room for fear. There is no room for fear. It was absurd in the eyes of God to see his people have fear when you and I know the omnipotence, the power that our God possesses over the enemy. And the Lord has been trying to convince his people, ladies and gentlemen, you and I, every breath of our lives, he's been screaming in our hearts and he screams at the world today. But we forget. Isaiah 51 and 15. For I am the Lord your God who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord Almighty is his name. I have put my words in your mouth. See the weapon that God has given us to overcome? I have put my words, my authority, things that change things, these, this weapon that can make the devil shake in his boots. I've given you that word and covered you with the shadow of my hand. I who set the heavens in place, who laid the foundations of the earth, and who say to Zion, you are my people. The Lord has the power to deliver us. He tells us the same hand that stirs the waves in the sea is available to us. He given us his word. Those many promises and assurances of his love and care for us. He protects us in the shadow of his hand. The Lord is the creator of his people. Therefore, he will not forsake us. And we should never forget him. I was watching this particular show. I'm a real documentary kind of guy. I'm not much of a television guy, but I do like to watch uh, documentaries about things that supposedly are real. And I like to watch police stories and uh, history and stuff like that. And the other day I was watching this. I know it's getting a little late. I won't finish today because I'll speak to you again. If Jesus tarries. But I was watching this particular show, and it was a, I don't know what it was, a crime situation where there was a 911 call made. You've heard those on television, yes? You've heard 911 calls? I don't know if we have any dispatchers here or not, but I, I, I know that I've seen plenty of shows, and you probably too if you watch TV just a little bit. You'll see on occasion how tragedies happen around the uh, this world or this nation of ours, and, and there'll be a 911 call, and they'll put it up where you can hear the voice, and 
maybe not see any faces, obviously, but they'll, they'll give you kind of like a heart monitor that where they're talking, 911, can I help you? And I heard this horrific experience that this woman was having. She was screaming on the phone, just screaming to call 911. She was talking to 911, and she says, please call 911. 911, send help now. And she was screaming. I think her husband had done something terrible to his children, shot them or whatever it was. And it was a horrific, shocking thing. And I was galvanized to listen to that, that whole experience this woman was having. And she, said, and she kept saying, send help, send help now. Oh, my God, my children are dead. Send somebody now. Please hurry. Send them. Ma'am, ma'am. Listen to me, man. Now call 911. This is 911. Get some help. Send the police. Whatever. Oh, no. They're dead. And he says, where are you? What is your address? Where are you? And the woman goes, I don't know. Ma'am, do you live there? Yes. Have you lived there for a while? Yes. What is your address? I don't know. Send somebody quick. And it was horrible. And at that moment, the Lord spoke to me. And for that reason, I stand before you this morning. For that reason, I've come to encourage you and remind you, especially when you go through trouble, the first thing that fear does, it gives you truth amnesia. It makes you forget who, what, and where you are. All of us in this house cannot say we've not experienced this amnesia. All it has to do is be tough enough and be hard enough and you'll forget what time of day it is. You'll forget who your parents are. You'll forget your husband's name. You'll forget where you live. You'll forget your address. And there are Christians in this world today who have been living in the house of God for 20 years 10 years, 30 years and more. And when tragedy strikes and they need to call 911 and God says, where are you? You say, I don't know. I forgot. I forgot. See, the devil works with fear. But it's just not fear that he wants to give you. You see, I heard another man say that God's word was under siege in this society, in this world today. And I heard that. God's word is under siege. There's a serious attack against God's word. They're trying to abolish it, erase it, so that it's over. It's a lie. And I said to myself in my mind, I said, I wonder if the Lord's worried about that. The word of God under siege. I said, nah. If the Lord wants to go to sleep, he doesn't go to sleep worried that his word is going to be destroyed. He prophetically spoke over his word. 
He said, the heavens and the earth will pass away, but my word will remain forever. So don't think for a moment that God goes, ah, oh, these guys are really hurting me. His word has been facing challenges in the garden. You remember the serpent? Did he really say? God's word has been attacked since the beginning. His word has been tried to be denied, discredited, made to be a lie. All of the eternal existence of humanity and creation. Always. And it remains unfazed. It's exactly in the same perfect, immaculate position it was when the Lord spoke it. So what then is the problem, Pastor? Then why all this fear? You see, the devil, do you think the devil doesn't know that he can't destroy God's word? Don't ever say, oh, God's word's being destroyed. It's not going to be destroyed. You're wrong. That's unbiblical. It's wrong. It's a lie. God's word will never be destroyed. Ever. So what is the plan then? You see, the devil knows he can't destroy God's word. But I'll tell you what he can do. He can make you forget it. So this whole attack is not against God's word. It's against you. It's against you. You, 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 and you, and all of us. Since he cannot touch God's word, he can touch those that have been trusted to believe it. And this is where he takes advantage and sometimes wins the battle in particular lives. What happened to that man? What happened to that marriage? What happened to the sons and daughters? What happened? Why did he take his life? Why is he on alcohol now? Why is he taking all these drugs? Why is he always angry? Why is he jealous? Why is this? Why is he living such a horrible life? All because Satan's plan worked in causing you to forget God's word. It'll take your sleep. It'll take your joy. It'll take your peace. It'll take your friends. It'll take the church from you. It'll drive you out of the church. It'll cause you to throw away the Bible and never open it again. See, because you throw away your Bible doesn't mean God's word is phased. Because you leave the church, don't you think God stops being God? Because you get up and try to find a hole to hide in. Don't you think that God's word is phased or that his plan for his church now, oh, now what are we going to do? His word, his plan remains forever. If you can just not forget that. If you can just remember that. This is why we opened this service this morning. I told you to tell your neighbor, don't forget I won't forget. If you leave this place today, there's that one thing I want to remind you of. To never forget. Some of us will face something tragic tomorrow. 
Some of us will face difficult times in the next few hours. Some of us, if we wait just long enough this year, won't finish off well. It'll be tough. Well, that's an ill word, Pastor. No, no, it's a matter of fact. Jesus said you'd face things. What's important for us to do is to never forget. Never forget. Deuteronomy 4 and 23. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. 2 Kings 17 and 38. Do not forget the covenant I have made with you. Don't forget. Keep it in your mind. Keep it in your heart. John 16 and 1 says, Jesus speaking to his disciples just before he leaves. Right before his final benediction in chapter 17 of the same book. He writes to them in chapter 16, verse 1 and on. He says, all this I have told you, that is about his crucifixion and how he's going to be leaving and how they won't see him again. Now how the Holy Spirit is going to be present. He gave them the whole plan. He told them exactly how they were going to be victorious. He told them exactly what God's plan for the church was. He told them not to fret, not to complain, not to moan, not to be afraid. He said all these things in John 16 and 1 says, I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. Now, I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. If there's a concern in the heart of God today, if there is healing that God wants to perform in the hearts of his people today, is to heal our minds of forgetfulness. That when your child begins to mess up and you find that he's on drugs, that you don't forget. That when things are bad financially at home, that you don't forget. That when the doctor gives you a bad report and not what you expected, that you don't forget. That when you hear politicians are doing certain things and now you're afraid for the country and your own personal life, that you never forget. That what's going on overseas and the wars are going on and now all these ugly things, don't forget. All these things, Jesus said, I've told you. So when the time comes, you will remember. Now the question of the hour as I close. Have you forgotten? Are you a forgetful person? God wants to heal you from that. God wants to remind you today that his plan for your life has not changed. That because you are his child, he will neither slumber and neither he will forget you. In the book of Isaiah, that opening passage, 
May I make note of this quickly to you. Listen to what he writes. Let me go back to that passage in Isaiah 52, I believe it was. Listen to what it says. Read the English. Help me, Lord. Here we go. Isaiah 51, 12. I close with this. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you? That's one person. Who's he talking to? You. Who are you that you fear mere mortals? That's two. You see the division? He makes a differentiation between the people he's talking to and about. May I make the observation, ladies and gentlemen, and challenge you to the thought that you are not like this world? Remember, he called us a peculiar people. Huh? He called us a holy nation. And he said, he who touches you touches the apple of my eye. We are the apple of his eye. So he says, you, one person, who you are, why are you afraid of the other person? You see, I have always told you in this church and in this world, there are only two kinds of people. And it has nothing to do with race. There's the saved. And the unsaved. He's making reference to both. Why are you the saved? The one whose father is your creator. The one who stretched the heavens and the earth. The one who uses his hand to shake the seas of the ocean. You. Why are you afraid of those who don't even trust me? Mere mortals, he calls them. Mere mortals. Sadly, you and I, before we knew Christ, we were of the second tribe. Just mere mortals. That's it. We're mere mortals. Unbelievers. Lost. Had it not been for Christ, we would have been facing a Christless eternity. But he challenges us. Who are you? Think about who you are. Maybe I should have asked a third question. Who are you? Maybe some of you would have answered, well, this is my office. I'm an attorney or I'm a teacher or I'm a student. I'm this or the other. But that wasn't the question. And that's not who the Lord is. He, who are you, uh, Mr. District Attorney? No, no. Uh, who are you, Mr. Pastor Soto? No, no. No, no. It has nothing to do with the office that we hold. In a professional world. He wants us to recognize and understand. Who are you? A child of mine. To be afraid. Of those who are not. Who is bending their bow against you? Unbeliever? An unbelieving political world? An unbelieving this? An unbelieving that? Who are you afraid of? Remember. I am the Lord your God. 
Maybe one day they'll come to believe and they'll be part of you. But right now, there's a line. There's a line in the sand. Is that right, Pastor? Absolutely. The Bible says that on that day, he's going to sit down and call the nations unto himself. And he will set one to the right and the others to the left. You see, Paul said it this way. He said, if Christ not be, not be resurrected, then our faith is worthless. That is, ladies and gentlemen, I, I, I use that simply to explain to you that unless you are a different people and you fall under a different government, which is of the Lord, then what are we doing here this morning? I'm just nothing more than an entertainer to you then. I, you've come to fill an hour and a half to hear me scream at you and give you philosophy and ideas. He said, if, if Christ not resurrected, then we are to be, uh, of all men, most pitied. But that's not what it is. You are a special people. And because you are, you have no reason to fear. Sickness, trouble, trial, persecution. You have no reason to be afraid. Just don't forget who I am. So I've come to remind someone in this house. If only one of you. Remind you. Don't forget him. It's going to be okay. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.